Again, happy Father's Day. I, I mentioned to you that um, well, it's Father's Day. We had a men's event last night, and Rick Burgess went, and we were in the VIP dinner. We had a meeting before the meeting, and in there, he uh, reminded the men, he said, you know, Father's Day, it's not like Mother's Day. He said, on Mother's Day, you walk in, and, and uh, you're lifting up mothers, you're honoring mothers, you're bestowing everything upon the mothers, and then on Father's Day, you walk in, and the preacher just guns them all down. Dad, where are you? Dad, where are you? And he was making fun about how sometimes we treat Father's Day and Mother's Day just a little bit differently. And he called me out in the crowd, and he said, Pastor Jeff, he said, next Mother's Day, I want you to walk in there, and I want you just to let them have it. <laughs> and I invited him to come speak that day. <laughs> he felt that strongly about it. But I have to tell you that I'm thinking, oh, no, because, guys, Scripture, when it comes to men, it's not all nice and pretty sometimes, and, and I'm going, man, I'm doing the same thing. I'm getting ready to, the Lord's getting ready to let us have it when it relates to our men, but happy Father's Day. I ask you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 22. When you get there, we're going to stand in just a minute, and we're going to read a singular verse this morning as our scripture passage, but when you get to, if you're using that pew Bible, it's on page 980, 980 in the pew Bible, Ezekiel chapter 22, and when you get there, put your finger on verse 30, I'll be joining there, and you, we will read it in just a moment. I found a book entitled, The Men's Thesaurus. And the premise of this book is that men don't always mean what they say. And this book, The Men's Thesaurus, offers translations from what men say to what they really meant. So let me give you, I've got some here that I wrote down for us to review. When a man says, it would take too long for me to explain it to you, what he really means is, I have no idea how it works. When a man says, that's interesting, dear, what he really says is, are you still talking? <laughs> when a man says, can I help with dinner, what he really means is, why is it not ready yet? <laughs> when a man says, uh-huh, sure, honey, yes, dear, he means absolutely nothing. It's a conditioned response. Yeah. <laughs> when a man says, it's okay, no big deal, I just cut myself, what he means is I've probably severed a limb, I'm getting ready to bleed to death before I admit I'm hurt, so hurry over here and help me. When a man says, I can't find it, he means it didn't fall into my outstretched hand, so I'm completely <laughs> clueless where it is. When a man says, you know I can never love anyone else, what he means is, is I'm used to the way you yell at me and I realize it could be worse. <laughs> when a man says, you look terrific, what he means is, oh, please don't try on one more outfit. We're late and I am starving. <laughs> when a man says, I don't remember saying that, it's because he means anything that I may have said six months ago is inadmissible in an argument. 
In fact, all past comments become null and void after seven days. When a man says, that is not what I meant, he means, if I said something that can be interpreted two ways, and one of the ways makes you sad or angry, I meant the other way. Happy Father's Day. First Baptist is blessed to have many faithful, active, and selfless men. I was encouraged last night in our group when I said, okay, if you're, if you're part of First Baptist, raise your hand, and, you know, more than 50% of the 225 men in the room were from First Baptist. So, men, thank you for your faithfulness. God would have each man live in a way that brings glory to him and draws others to Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's stand together. We're going to read a singular verse today from Ezekiel chapter 22. We're going to read verse 30. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30 says this, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Thank you, church. You may be seated. And I say that you may be seated. I have been reminded a dozen times that in my video sermon of last week where I was reading the scripture in an empty room, can I remind you, that I did not have anybody sit down. And some of you tell me, I think you're stretching it a little bit, that you actually stood the whole time. (laughs) Now, I don't know, but I believe that, Tommy, you're being given credit for the first man to sit down and everybody followed you. So I just want to tell you, that's an example, men, of the influence that you wield. But thank you for sitting there. Keep your scripture open. We're going to talk about this and walk back through this. But first, I want to set the context for the today's, for our verse this morning. In Ezekiel chapter 22, and I always want to encourage you to go and read it after the fact, to read more about it. But in Ezekiel chapter 22, The Lord is taking time to announce to Ezekiel, his prophet, his current feelings about the people and their current commitment to him. Let me just run through a few statements that you would have found prior to verse 30 of Ezekiel chapter 22. In chapter, in verse 22 too, he's going to show her all of her abominations. Chapter, verse 3, you shed blood and you make idols. Verse 4, you are shortening your days. Verse 4 again, you are a mockery and a reproach to the nations. And catch this, in verse verse 7, it says, In you they oppress and mistreat the people. Now, I was caught by that phrase, in you. It's used again in verse 7, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, and verse 12. All of them, God is saying, in you, meaning that Because of you, you're allowing it to happen. You're not stopping it from happening. You give it a place to settle. And Scripture also uses the phrase a few times in this chapter about in your midst. God is judging some for what they are doing. But when he brings in the phrase in you, God is judging others for what they're allowing. Church, can I tell you that it's not enough to God for us not to be specifically guilty? 
We are just as guilty when we allow the ungodly things to flourish in you. God says, you're despising my holy things and you're profaning the Sabbath. That's in verse 8. In verses 9 to 13, he says, you commit lewdness, you take bribes, you charge usury, and you do business unethically. In verse 14, he says, can your hearts endure? Can your hands remain strong when I deal with you? In verses 17 to 22, God says, I'm going to gather you and refine you, and only the pure will remain, and all else will melt away. Verse 18, he uses the word dross. Now, dross, he uses it in 18, and he uses it in 19. Dross is what remains when you melt down precious metals. All the purity is gone, and all that's left behind is the dirty stuff that is worthless to God. And in verses 23 to 29, all levels of leadership have failed, the prophets, the priests, the princes, and the people. And so that's the backdrop of God's feelings about his people when we get to verse 30 today. Let me just say it to you again, verse 30. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall, And stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Do you see what God is saying in his scripture right there? God is looking for a man. God is looking for men who are seeking him. Men who are willing to build the wall, meaning that men that are willing to step into times of challenge. Men willing to stand in the gap for the land. People that, men that will stand for the entire and full cause of God. Men who will make God their first priority. Those who seek him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Men who will submit to God in all ways. Men who are pure, honest, and faithful. And God looked for these men in this time, and Scripture tells us something very, very sad. In verse 30, he said, but I found no one, not one, not a man. Now, it's an interesting thing. Um, I've mentioned this before, but I've read a statistic that if you reach a man for Jesus... 93% of the time, you reach the entire family for Jesus. And when you do not reach a man for Jesus, nearly all the time, you do not get his family for Jesus. God has positioned the man in that way. You notice in the feeding of the 5,000, for example, it's always in Scripture, it talks about there were 5,000 men. But we all know, and preachers use it, and they say they must have fed about 20,000 people because that's a scriptural bearing forth of the truth that when you reach the man, of course the man brings his family. And so when God is speaking to the man, he's speaking to the man, directing to the man in a position of influence that he's placed the man, but he's actually desiring the whole family. So while we want to make this about God, looking for a man, there's spiritual truth for us regardless of where we stand in all of these uh, situations in our life. But God could not find a man. 
You know, in Genesis chapter 18, we're not going to turn there. I'm just going to allude to this. In verses 20 to 32 of Genesis chapter 18, God is preparing. We know the story. God is preparing to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham intervenes and has this ongoing conversation with God where Abraham says, Lord, if we find 50 righteous men, will you hold off? And you know how the story goes, 50, 40, and it goes all the way down. And God tells Abraham that if he can find 10 righteous men in Sodom and Gomorrah, 10 righteous men in two cities, 10 righteous men, God says, I will not destroy the city. In Genesis chapter 19, verses 24 to 28, we read this phrase, the Lord rained brimstone and fire. Church, God is always faithful. God will always do what he says. He said he would not destroy these two cities if he found 10 righteous, and Scripture tells us that he destroyed these two cities. You know what that means, right? That means in two cities, God did not find 10 men that he considered righteous. So this God looking in Ezekiel chapter 22 for a man and not finding one is not the only place in Scripture where those men have not been found. Husbands, if God is seeking one righteous man in your home, could he find one? Dad, if God is seeking one righteous man in your family, can he find one? Church member, if God is seeking 10 righteous men at First Baptist Church, could he find them? And the interesting thing is that the defining of who is righteous is not ours to pin upon ourselves, but it is God's assessment of the heart of that man. I believe that this is biblically, theologically, logically, reasonably true, these statements that I'm about to make. I do not believe that you can be a good man until you have yielded and submitted your life to Jesus fully. I do not believe that you can be a good husband until you can be a good man until you have yielded your life fully to Christ. I equally do not believe that you can be a good father until you are a good husband. That can't happen until you're a good man. That can't happen until you've yielded your life fully to Christ. Being a righteous man is a dying art today. There are not many righteous men in our nation anymore. But I'm thankful. As I pray through, as I talk with our men, I am thankful that we do have a few good men here. And I don't use the word few as in we have many that aren't. But I'm thankful that in a world where they're hard to come by, I know quite a few. But we could always use more. 
Amen? I thank God today for the good men that he sent here. Men, I want to challenge you, whether you're a father yet or not, to step into that committing, yielding life to God so that he can make you the man and then perhaps the husband and then perhaps the father and then God will take care of everything else beyond that, I believe. So I want to just remind us, scripturally speaking, of some characteristics of what a righteous man would look like. I think, first of all, we can define scripturally that good men are men who have learned to lean, that would be your key word right there, lean on the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. These men, these righteous men who lean on the Lord, they lean on the Lord for a few things that I want to call out. They lean on the Lord for their salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. I I thank God for the good men here at First Baptist that have learned to lean on the Lord for their salvation salvation. Not only that, but I'm thankful for men who have learned to lean on the Lord for their strength. Isaiah chapter 40 verses 30 and 31 says this, even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I thank God for good men who have learned to lean on the Lord for their strength. Now, we realize that when you're leaning on the Lord for your strength, you're not leaning on yourself for your strength. Scripture also teaches that a righteous man leans on the Lord for his supply. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I thank God for good men here at First Baptist that have learned to lean on the Lord for their supply. They know that what they have is a gift from God, and that changes how they hold on to it and how they use it. And then finally, I think for, I'm thankful for men who have learned to lean on the God for soundness. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God who gives liberally to all and without reproach, and it will be given to him. I thank God for the good men we have here that have learned to lean on the Lord for their wisdom. Righteous men lean on the Lord. I also thank God for men who have learned to lead. First of all, they've learned to lead themselves. Galatians 5 16 and 17 says this, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Also in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says this, talking about leading. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Men, you will either lead with your flesh 
or the flesh will lead you. You're either going to allow God to help you lead your life for him, or you're going to abandon that, and then you will be led around. Also, righteous men who have learned to lead, they've learned to lead their families. Ephesians 5.23 says this, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Men, have you come to recognize that your positional authority that God has given you is not a privilege. It's a huge responsibility. Because a man who is going to exert leadership in his home has to only be able to do it in a way like Jesus yielded his life for the church. That is complete and total sacrifice. What a responsibility. The hardest thing you'll ever do will be do will be a good husband and a good father to your children. But it's not easy. Eli, we find in 1 Samuel chapter 3, he could run the temple, but he could not run his family. In 1 Kings chapter 1, we find that David, King David, could run the kingdom and lead men into battle, but he could not run his own children. A righteous man learns to uh, allow the Lord to lead him, to lead himself, to lead his families, and then thirdly, to lead other people to Jesus. Romans 5, 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, the death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. Goes on in verses 18 and 19 of Romans chapter 5. says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Scripture says that many through Christ will be made righteous. Will that happen here, church? Will many, because of the men in First Baptist Church, be made righteous? Not if we don't lead the fallen, the lost, to come to know Jesus. So I thank God for the men at First Baptist Church who have learned to lean on God, for men that have learned to lead, and finally, I thank God for the men who have learned to love. First Corinthians, first of all, tells us that our love needs to be the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3 says this, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing." We have to learn to love first the Lord. Second scripture, second, the second scripture tells us that men who are righteous have learned to love their families. Back to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 27, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy 
and without blemish. Once a man knows and loves the Lord, he is now able to love as Christ loved. Love the Lord. Love the family. And third, love the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. I thank God for the good men that God has given us, don't you? I pray today that your testimony is one of knowing a righteous man. I pray today that you have memories of righteous men, and I pray today, men, that you have a desire to be one. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, again said this, and this is the Lord speaking, and I sought for a man among them that should make up a hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. You know, at the beginning of this message, we all laughed about men and their communication challenges. They were funny, but they should not be true. You see, being a man of God is not a laughing matter. God has promised many times in his word that he can and will do much with one righteous man. Imagine what God can do if the men of First Baptist commit to live righteously before God. Just imagine what God can do with men who will live that way. Men of all ages, fathers or not, we must become what God has called us to be. Dad, your family needs you to desperately lean on God. Your family needs you to submit your life to lead as God leads. And your family needs you to love relentlessly. Dad, your church needs you to lean, lead, and love. And dad, this world needs you to lean, lead, and love. Dad, your only hope of becoming this person is with God. Only God can make you all that you desire to be, and only God can make you all that he wants you to be. Dad, are you willing to stand in the gap for your family? Are you willing to stand in the gap for your church? And are you willing to stand in the gap for this community? Because they need Jesus. Amen? Today, God can help us turn to him. Now, Zach and the worship team are going to come, and you're going, Jeff, are you done? Yeah. But God's not. God's not done. It is my prayer that God has continued to work in the men of First Baptist Church. Now, I don't want to exclude God working in the life of any lady in the church because God can't. We're emphasizing the men. Women, I would encourage you, pray for your husband, pray for your father. God has a purpose for each one of us men. 
And we need to step into that. And I pray that you will do that. Church, I'm going to ask you to stand. Now, husband or single man, father or not yet a father, I pray that you'll allow God's word to challenge you today and cause you to step toward him. This altar is going to be open. Perhaps you want to take the hand of your family and pray with them. Perhaps you want to take your wife and recommit to that. I want God to be able to find a righteous man everywhere he looks in First Baptist. Our community needs it, and God is worthy of our lives. Amen? So let me pray, and then we're going to have a time of commitment. I'll be here if you need me. The altar is here, or you can just deal with God right where you are. But I pray that you will do what God is calling you to do. Let's pray.